you so much for leading us in music. And um, again, I would encourage you to follow this great, great family. I know they have a table out there. They'd love for you to hear more about their ministry. And thank you for letting me be a part of this incredible week that you've had at Myrtle Grove. Now, Dennis came up here and said something rather divisive in God's church that I have to address. Dennis's grandson, Ian, and my son, Jude, are our best buddies and play baseball together at great old Bill Bond Baseball. Anybody play Bill Bond Baseball in this room before? I'm curious if it's made its way. I guess that's, um, okay, there's some out there. Well, anyway, I grew up in St. Louis. I'm a Cardinal fan. And, uh, and Dennis, this is your home turf. This is your church. So um, I expect you to be awake for both games at that men's fellowship. And I have a bone to pick with David. Um, where's David at? Um, that's been organized. There he is. I uh, want to thank David for his heart. And I know David and many others worked with him to put this week together. Not too long ago, I was just, you know, getting my mind ready for this night. And I was looking through the week. And I realized David had the audacity to have me go after Ted Trailer. <laughs> I mean, good grief. It's like pitching after Nolan Ryan's done. I mean, but anyway, I hope uh, tonight by, of course, the, the grace of our God that you will hear from him in his word. And tonight, what I want to do is I want to basically ask a simple two-word question. Why church? I have a heart for the local church. Um, I have uh, been raised in the church and just like many of you, perhaps, I mean, I had my moments in high school that, you know, I didn't feel like church was important or necessary. And uh, thankfully, the Lord, just like even tonight in your life, the Lord never gave up on me and kept faithful to leading me to the church. I've always been a fan of a multi-generational church. And of course, the, pa- the church that I'm blessed to serve, First Baptist, is 176 years old. And so I left the student ministry world from Birmingham at a church that was 12 years old when I left. I was there uh, quite a while and then went to a 176-year-old church as her pastor. So I don't have time to tell you about that faith journey. Um, I'll let uh, you uh, read that. Um, You know, one day if someone ever writes about it, hopefully it's nice about me. But anyway, tonight I want to go to this question, why Church. If you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to open into the book of 2 John. I'm going to preach an entire book tonight, and before you get scared, I want you to know that this book is only 13 verses long. So I know you can do that. I know you can go through an entire book in one sermon. We just have three hours left, so we have plenty of time to do this. And, um, but I do want tonight for us to look at 2 John. I want us to see in this letter this important book of the New Testament, of why the church is vital. In fact, a question that I want you to think about this this evening. Do you believe the church is essential? Do you believe the church is essential? I love revivals. I'm a fan of revivals. But even more than revivals, I want to see the local church strengthen and sustain for years and years and years to come. And my prayer this morning when I got up at dark 30 was I wanted you at Myrtle Grove Baptist, if this is your 
home church, or if you are a guest and you're looking for a church, I highly recommend this church. They have a great pastor. I love Josh. I love what God is doing in this area. I want you to think about this, and this was my prayer this morning. May the grace of our God grow Myrtle Grove, not numerically, which is automatically what we think of, not just numerically, but let the church of Myrtle Grove grow spiritually with a gospel-saturated passion for the lost. Where I'm at is downtown. Um, if you've been downtown, you know there's, there's a lot of wonderful things downtown, but just about every day, um, it doesn't take me long and far to go to see lostness all around where we are in Palafox. And I want you to know tonight that this message that I want to give to you is a burden of mine as a pastor for God's church not just First Baptist, not just Myrtle Grove, but God's church to be strengthened and for men and women like you tonight to see and believe that it is essential to be a part of a faith family. Tonight, before we go into the text, I just want to invite you to pray with me. And again, I know there's that are watching um, from home or wherever you are, we're grateful that with technology you can watch tonight. We want to invite you to join us as well as we pray. I do this every Sunday when I preach for my faith family I want to go and ask the Spirit to help us to study the Scriptures together. So I invite you to join me and let's pray. Father, right now as we just finish with such incredible music, music that was full of biblical truth, music that, that I believe honored and glorified you, and music that stirred my soul there on the front row, giving me even more excitement to proclaim your word tonight. I thank you. Father, for that. But now I pray, as your Spirit has been leading us, may your Spirit continue to lead us as we study Second John. I pray you block out all distractions in this room. I pray that you block out anything that does not need to be there. Help us to put aside those future plans or thoughts that we have and let us all set our minds on things above, not on the things on this earth, as Colossians tells us. Tonight, I ask for your spirit to open up hearts and minds for those in this room and those that are watching from all around to be able to answer the question, why church? I believe it's important for your church to have revival, and we're seeing that this week. May you continue to do so in this service. We give you all the glory and the honor, and I pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. In 1937, the Gallup poll first measured U.S. church membership at 73%, and it remained near close to 70% in the United States for the next six decades before beginning a steady decline around the turn of the 21st century. Americans' membership in houses of worship continued to decline last year, dropping below 50% for the first time in Gallup's eight-decade trend. In fact, I know it's uh, not brand new research, but at the end of 2020, 47% of Americans said they belonged to a church, which was down from 50% in 2018, and then 70% back in 1999. We need to answer the question, why church? Why is it important for you to be a part of the local body of believers? And why it's important for you not to be a spectator, but to be a full-out participant in what God is doing? And tonight, let's look at Second John together and answer the question, why church? 
Um, I always say this, so if you're thinking, well, why you say it? I just, I'm a creature of habit. I say it every Sunday that I, that I preach. But if you are a type A personality in this room, I got four points for you tonight for you to write down. I'm not your typical Baptist tonight. I'm a nonconformist giving you four points and not three. And there's not tons of alliteration tonight. However, I want you to think of four thoughts tonight in the 13 verses of 2 John to answer the question, why church? Number one, I want you to see that John had a love for the church, so should we. So why church? Why is it essential to be a part of a body of believers? Well, just reading from this great letter in, in, the, in the New Testament, we see that John had a love for the church, so should we. John had a love for the church, so should we. Let's look at 2 John, the first three verses together. John writes in verse 1, The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. You see, John had a love for the church. So should you and so should I. The, the reference to the elect lady refers to, I believe, a local congregation and her members. This was a body of believers. It is um, questionable whether John was writing to you know, just a female Christian because in verse 5 he says we should love one another. So we can't put a single person as the lady, but yet lady is a symbolic term for the bride, for this body of believers. John says, even in verse 13, that we should, to another congregation, your elect sister, of one church to another. All of the language used here leads us to believe that John was writing to a church. And he says to the church, you and all of your children, that's part of you. Notice what he says in verse 1. This was his view of this church, whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth. He says about this church, why does he love the church? Because in verse 2, the truth that abides in you will be with you forever. Look what he says in verse 3. I love John's language here. He says, grace, mercy, and peace will be in this body from God the Father and from, of course, Jesus Christ. It is important that we see the love that John had when he wrote this letter to this church. He loved the church. He loved the church. You see, I believe if you want to see God move and work in your community, I believe tonight, friends, it means if you are indeed a Christ follower, you better start loving his church. He died for the church. Christ died for the church. You see, for me, I haven't always, 100% my entire life, been a pro-church, everybody go. Sadly, Something happened to me my second year of college. It's rather embarrassing, but just like a 19-year-old at the time, I, I didn't really know enough to handle my emotions the way that I should have. I was coming home from my first year of college. I, I went to a, a college out in western Kentucky called Murray State. I don't expect many of you to know where that is, but we have a joke at First Baptist where I tell my church members to put their hand over their, over their heart and say, go racers, when I say Murray State. Some of them do, some just kind of look at me. Like some of you are right now, just like, what? But I, I came home from that first year of college. Before I came home, there was a, um, 
a staff member there that I love dearly. He was my youth minister. He said, hey, Dave, would you like to be my summer intern? This was in March. And I said, yes. He said, I, when you come home, you're going to be my summer intern. And already I felt a call in a ministry, and I've made it known to the church. And so my first year of college, I was a full-time student, didn't work anywhere. I thought, this is my first ministry opportunity. The church, just like maybe you have in the past, they licensed me right before I went to college. It was just a wonderful gift to go back to my home church in Athens, Alabama, where my parents lived. And I go home. I'm all excited to be the summer intern. I told all my friends in college in the BSU, which is now called BCM, but in the BSU days, I was telling everybody, hey, pray for me. I'm going home. I get to be the intern with the youth ministry. I get home. I get to, it was the first Sunday back at, the, at my home church that not too long before that licensed me. I'm sitting in um, the college Sunday school class, and my youth minister came in. He tapped me on the shoulder, and he said, hey, Snyder, I, I need to talk to you. He called me Snyder. He said, Snyder, I need to talk to you. So I said, yeah, Rick. So I got up and walked out in the hallway, and he said, and I could tell something was wrong. I said, hey, what's going on? And he said, well, I just want you to know, um, you know, I talked to some others, and there was a married couple that came recently to our church, and the young people like them, and they're married, so she can do stuff with the ladies, and, you know, you're 19 and single. I said, oh, thanks, Rick. Tell me I'm single there. And he said, um, we gave the internship to them. They're going to serve as our interns. And I looked at him. I hadn't, I mean, I packed up. I came all the way home, and I was so excited by the summer. I looked at him, you know, I said, are you serious? He said, yeah, I'm sorry, man. Um, and he said, but no hard feelings, right? And he put his hand out. I was like, yeah, you know, and, and I, you know, if Brooke was here, Brooke's my wife, Brooke can tell you that I would be lousy in poker. I don't play poker, but I just, my face tells everything. And, and so I, I went home and my mom could tell, she looked at my face, she said, what's the matter? And I was, it just came out. I was, for lack of a better word, I was just ticked. And I said, you know what, forget church, forget it. She said, what'd you say, honey? I said, you know what, I'm not going this summer. And she's like, what? I said, you know what, no, forget it. I said, I, I came home and I just let her have it. You know, my poor mom is just sitting there and, and she's trying to hold it all in. You know, mom, you know, faithful choir member, dad was uh, on um, one of the, the committees in the church. I mean, they're very invested in their church. And mom is just like <laughs> holding it in like, what? And I said, I'm done, I'm done. And I had like the license that they put on my wall, you know, from the church. I took it off, threw it in the closet and said, I'm done. I was that upset. I was that angry. And sadly, foolishly, I, um, that summer I worked. I worked at Cracker Barrel. Love Cracker Barrel still, just so you know. I worked at Cracker Barrel that summer. I took a few summer classes at the community college. I said, that's all I'm going to do. I'm going to work. I'm going to take some classes. And I can't wait to go back to Kentucky to go to school. I was so upset and so hurt. I mean, I was 19. They were going to pay me like 50 bucks a week. I mean, but I was that upset. My mom said something to me when the summer came to an end. I was getting ready to go back to school. She said, honey, I know you're upset. I said, I am, Mom. We were having one of our front porch talks. And Mom said, who is still, and my dad, you know, one of my spiritual heroes, Mom said, that's not the church's fault, honey. She said, don't blame the church. She said, you're upset and for the rest of your life, you're going to have personalities in the church that you may not agree with, but please don't ever blame the church. And I didn't know as a 19-year-old what my mother was trying to instill into my heart. And now, as I am a 41-year-old, saying this message to you, I still have that memory of that immature season of my life when I blamed the church for something that really wasn't their fault. Was it poor communication? Yeah. But how many of us have made poor communication mistakes in our life? I mean... 
We must, if we are serious about revival, Myrtle Grove, you must start with developing a love for the church. And look what John does. John had such beautiful language. He said, to this body, to the lady and her children whom I love, may grace and mercy and peace be with you. As followers of Jesus, I believe we must hold deep affections for the church. Nothing, nothing will ever replace the church. Our Ken Hughes once said this. He said, on the most elementary level, you do not have to go to church to be a Christian. You do not have to go home to be married either. But in both cases, if you do not, you will have a very poor relationship. We need to think about our attitude and our affections and our motives when it comes to the body, the bride of Christ. Because, listen, when you come together as a church, agree or disagree on whatever you're going through, when you come together and center on the fellowship that you have, and the fellowship that you have together is not if all of your preferences have been unified. What brings you together is the shed blood of Christ. To realize that I am no different than you and you are no different than me because both of us have been saved by the love of God through his son Christ Jesus. That's what we need to answer the question, why church? John had a love for the church, so should we. And because we say we love Jesus, we must also love his church. Can I keep going? My type A friends, here's my second point I want you to think about today. I have a feeling if I go second to the fourth, someone's going to be like, you missed three, you missed three. So I won't do that, I promise. Here's my second thought I want you to think about this evening. John was refreshed by the church. So should we. John was refreshed by the church. So should we. I've just been here for a couple hours with you. My heart was refreshed at dinner, eating that zero-calorie Domino's pizza for dinner That was fantastic. It was great. Someone said, we're so glad you're here. And I said, I'm a Baptist pastor and you offered free food. I mean, of course I'm going to be here tonight, you know. Um, Of course. Um, You know, we need to approach the church with a longing for our hearts to be refreshed. Myrtle Grove, you refreshed my heart. Many of you, maybe some of you remember this, but four years ago, you invited me to preach in here. We had our singing seniors come, our singing senior choir come with our beloved Bob Morrison, our longtime music minister before he retired, and Bob invited me to come with him, and there was a revival week with a lot of um, singing, and our, our senior adult choir that we call Singing Seniors sang, and, and I preached with no voice that day because of allergies and baseball, but... We, but that day, I was a brand new pastor, and I'll, I'll tell you this now, I was scared to death pastoring First Baptist, and I'm going to tell you right now, I'm still scared to death pastoring First Baptist. It's, it, it is, it is a, a huge task and weight to serve, and so I was brand new greenhorn. There were people at my congregation that I loved dearly thinking, we brought in a guy in his late 30s, a youth minister. To... It, was, it was the most unusual relationship made that has stolen my heart. But you, as Myrtle Grove, invited me to be your guest that week and let me preach. And I went home that day refreshed by you, encouraged that, wow, they asked the, you know, the guy down the street. You know, I'm sure the first 10 weren't available. But man, number 11, when you called me, I was so thankful. The church needs to have that kind of a fellowship that you're refreshed when you're together. 
Let's keep reading verses 4 through 6. I rejoiced greatly. Look what John says about being refreshed by the church. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. You see, John was refreshed by the church. So should we. That word walk in the Greek language is the word peripateo. It's a beautiful word in the Greek language. And what it means is it means to tread around, to be occupied with. And John said, in using that Greek language, that, that I am sharing this with you, that you are occupied, that you are walking, you are fully occupied in the truth. He wanted to see the people in God's church refreshed one another, living out the truth. In fact, 3 John verse 3 in the King James Version, 3 John verse 3, we see this. I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth. That is how you are walking in truth. That is the goal of the church is to walk in truth. And when you walk in truth with love, you can't separate the two. Truth and love have to go together. I have four kids. My wife and I love our kids. I'm really excited about this Saturday morning. We're taking um, one of our kids with us to Guatemala for a, a week-long mission trip. So my 10-year-old son's coming, and I'm looking forward to seeing Jude out there um, hanging out with all those kids and, and having that experience. You, but as a dad, yeah, I love my kids, but I also want my kids to understand truth. And within the church, you can't separate love and truth. If you're all truth but no love, then you're going to flirt with just kind of that pharisaical legalism side. But if you're all love with no truth, it's going to be that cotton candy approach when it might grow, but there's just no substance. There has to be this walking and this understanding that when you are a church refreshed by the Spirit together, you have a desire for the truth. Why and how was John refreshed by the church? You'll notice two things. He loved this church because, number one, they were consumed with the truth of God, and number two, they were consumed with love. He said in 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And how do we do this? How are we refreshed as a church, Myrtle Grove? How can you be refreshed together? I believe there's four thoughts that you need to think about, and I'll say them quickly. Number one, you and I need to learn how to watch our mouths. We have to watch our mouths. James chapter 3, has the whole chapter talks about that. What good is it if you praise God and curse men who've been made in God's likeness, is what James says. If you want to be refreshed as a church together, it means you need to watch your mouth. Now, when I was a kid, I used to think that was just saying bad words. I think it's more than just saying bad words. Watching your mouth is gossip. It's slander. It's backbiting. You want to give the adversary an opportunity to hurt your church, then start backbiting. You've opened the door. You've opened the door. And you might as well say, come on in and break us apart. You have to do that. I try to say this to our church as much as I can, as much as I can remember. We don't talk about people. We talk to people. That's what we do to be refreshed. We use our words, and we are careful of that. Number two, you avoid worldliness. 
That's how you love like the church and refresh. You avoid worldliness. 1 Timothy 6, 10, and 11. We don't have time to look at all these. I just wanted to give you the addresses. But 1 Timothy 6, 10, 11 reveals to us the need to avoid worldliness. Does it mean that you are to not have any hobbies? No, it doesn't. You know, one of my first month or two I was here, I was at the ball field. I had my baseball hat on. It was a flat-billed cardinal hat, Dennis. Sorry. Actually, no, I'm not sorry, brother. I had on a Bill Bond shirt to support my son out there. I had a new church member come up and was looking at me funny. I was like, yeah, hey, how you doing? They said, I'm not used to seeing you without your pastor clothes on. And I was smiling, and then they said, so do you wear this often? And I was like, and I didn't know what to say. You know, I'm brand new in the job. I said, well, I'm at the ball field. Um, and they were like, huh, I'm just not used to seeing pastors that way. And they walked away, and I thought, what a weird thing to say. And... Brooke was like, what happened tonight? Because, you know, read me like a book. I said, well, am I supposed to wear suits to ball games? You know, and she said, if you do, we're taking two cars. Um, so it doesn't mean that you are to avoid enjoying this world. But what it means is you have to avoid allowing the world to be your all-consuming idol. If you want to be refreshed as a church, it means you watch what you say and you also avoid worldliness. And I probably shouldn't go there, but I don't know if I'll, I mean, I, I got to say this, Josh. I, I've just learned in five years I've pastored now, I've just learned that the world is having too much of an influence on the local church. Too much of an influence. And if I can say, and this isn't even, this, this, is, this is spirit moving. Sometimes I call that spiritually ad-libbing, but I'm tired of it. I'm done with it. I'm done with it. If we are going to be the church, the banner of truth, the bride of Christ, it means we do not allow the world to influence what we do to advance the Great Commission together. That's what it means. We watch our mouths. We avoid worldliness. Here's a third thing of how we refresh one another. We kill fleshly desires. We kill fleshly desires. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. That's an easy one to remember. 2 Timothy 2, Timothy 2, 2, 2. We kill fleshly desires. I don't know what you're battling with tonight, but I want to encourage you with something. Tonight, you don't have to continue to battle those desires of your heart that are leading you astray. You don't have to do it anymore. You can just surrender that and say, I'm done. I'm done. I don't need this anymore. I don't need this anymore. When I was in seminary, I went to New Orleans Baptist Seminary. I loved that school. I had a great time there. I, um, but I was only there for a year and a half. And then when Katrina hit, um, I went to Atlanta to finish out my school. But while I was there, I worked the front desk at the Hampton Inn and Suites Convention Center. If you've ever been in that massive convention center, there's a Hampton Inn and Suites right across the street. I was the front desk guy there for over a year. I learned more to prepare me to be a pastor at that front desk than anything else in my life. You know what happens when the room's wrong? Guess whose fault it is? It's my fault, right? And I, I heard things from people that, you know, made me blush. I, I mean, it was, it was that kind of experience. But one night, this guy checks in. His name was Lemuel. He was from California, flew in for a convention. And um, he was um, checking in the front desk, and um, he, uh, he said uh, to me, he said, you know, very friendly, and he he said, hey, can you do me a favor? I said, what? He said, can you get the TV out of my room tonight? And I was like, well, I don't think we're allowed to do that. And he was like, can you just try? I said, 
okay? So I went in the back and told the manager, I said, hey, there's a guy checking in. He's asking for us to take the TV out of his room. Do we do that? He was like, oh, I don't know. He said, I don't think we can do that. So I said, all right. When I went back to the desk, he already left. So I thought, well, maybe he'll forget. But 10 minutes later, the phone rings, and I looked at the, you know, the room number, and it was Lemuel, and I answered it. He said, hey, man, did you ever get that TV figured out to get moved out. I said, man, I'm sorry, we can't do that. He said, all right, I'm coming down the front desk. And he hung up. And I thought, oh, man, it's only 7 p.m. I got until 11. You know, and so I was just bracing for it, right? And he comes down, and he had his backpack. And he said, hey, how long are you here tonight, Till? And I thought, great, now he's going to wait for me in the parking lot. <laughs> you know, and I mean, I was a music major. I mean, I marched, you know, in college. I mean, I, I have scrawny, hairy arms. What am I going to do to this guy? You know, I was like, oh, well, he said, I'm going to wait here the entire time at the lobby. You okay if I sit here with you? I said, yeah. And so he sat down, and, and I had one eye over there the whole time. And, and he came up 30 minutes later and said, can I get you some coffee? And he said, you know they have coffee? I was like, yeah, I know. And, and, he, and he said, hey, let me ask you a question. He said, have you ever read the Bible? And I smiled. I said, well, actually, I have read the Bible. He said, I just became a Christian a few months ago. I live out in California, and he um, he said, I tell you what, he said, I don't know you well, but I just feel like I need to share this with you. He said, I just had a horrible problem with lust, horrible problem with, um, with following after that sin. And when I became a Christian and I joined a local church, I realized that should not be in my life anymore. And he said, so I try my best when I travel to get a TV out of my rooms. And this is way before iPhone. There was a time before iPhones. Can you believe that? Well, and so he was... He was just like, and when it doesn't happen, I just go down the lobby until, you know, I can, and then I, I go to bed. I was like, okay. And so he said, what's your favorite verse? And I was like, well, I said, you know, right now my favorite verse is uh, Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the nations, exalted on the earth. And I, he said, yeah, that's a good one. I read that recently. And we're just having this great conversation. 11 o'clock hits, and I'm getting ready to go home um, after a long night. It was a Saturday night. Um, we had church the next morning, and Brooke and I went to First Baptist New Orleans, and I was getting ready to walk out to my car, and he, he kind of walked out to the lobby, and he put his hand on my shoulder. He said, will you pray for me tonight? He said, I'm going back to my room. Will you please pray for me? I said, yeah, man. So I put my hand on his shoulder, and I, I prayed for Lemuel. Um, handsome guy, young guy, you know, um, mid-20s, looked like he had a pretty good job, and he is fighting these desires. And then as I'm walking, he yelled. He said, hey, and I turned around. He said, you going to church in the morning? I said, yeah. He said, can you come pick me up? Now, I didn't want to say no because I lived in Metairie, which is a pain to drive to New Orleans in there. But, you know, I had to, you know, I had to be the, the good guy there. I was like, yeah, I'll pick you up. He said, great, what time? I said, well, you know, 830. He said, that's great. And uh, he said, don't forget to pray for me. And the next morning, I picked him up. He ran out to my car. He got in, and the first thing he said was, man, he said, um, that was great. He said, you prayed for me. I went upstairs, and I read a little bit from Scripture, and I fell, back to, I fell quickly asleep and woke up, had my quiet time, went to the gym. He said, man, thank you. And then the next thing he said was, I can't wait to tell my church when I get home. And then we drove to church that morning, and Lemuel was telling me about the men's group he was in and how this guy that was in his 70s was discipling him. And he said, I can't wait to call Mr. Roy whenever, you know. I, and I'm thinking, if we had more Lemuels. And I haven't talked to him since. He, he, the next day he left, and I've never seen him since. But, you know, that refreshed my heart to see that. We, as a church, need to kill those desires. And the way that we do that is the fourth thought, obey the words of Jesus. 
John 14, verse 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey what I command. If we want to be a church that is refreshed together by the Spirit, it means we obey the words of our Savior. Diedrich Bonhoeffer once said, the church is the church only when it exists for others, not dominating, but helping and serving. It must tell men of every calling what it means to live for Christ and to exist for others. Oh, Myrtle Grove, before I get to my third thought, let's look at this. Let's look at the church as an institution that refreshes believers and restores sinners. And let's not get joy out of being the sin police, but let's instead be the sin ambulance going out there to rescue those that are hurting and lost. That's what we do. Let's keep going. Number three, John protected the church from spiritual warfare, so should we. When we answer the question, why church? Why is it essential? John protected the church from spiritual warfare, so should we. And let me ask you this before we read this text. Do you believe in spiritual warfare? It's out there. It is out there. It's everywhere. We as a church must fight against it. Let's keep reading verses 7 through 11. Verses 7 through 11. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. You think that's still happening? Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh... Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. Whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works." You see, the adversary has a hatred for the church, and therefore we must keep guard and protect against that with the truth and love of Jesus. Now, you'll see the word antichrist in your Bibles in here. The term simply means those against Christ. It's a term that is used of those that deny the Father and the Son and does not acknowledge Jesus. And you know, when you look at 1 John 2.18, that word is plural, that there have been many, many antichrists. But we also know five times in Scripture there's a singular term. There is the Antichrist coming in Revelation. Now, I'm not preaching that tonight, so don't get nervous. Um, But what I do want to say tonight is we have been warned by the Scriptures, we've been warned by the Spirit that in the church there will be an attack for those that do not stand for Jesus. There will be an attack inside the church. And if you want to answer the question, why is church essential, you can answer that by looking at John's letter to say that he protected the church from spiritual warfare, so should we. Scripture warns us of false brothers. Scripture warns us against wolves in sheep clothing, savage wolves in Acts 20. Everywhere the gospel is spread, the adversary will try to distort it. And everyone who rejects the word of God rejects God is what he says. Now, I want you to think for just a moment. What can you do to protect Myrtle Grove from spiritual warfare? I don't have a textbook answer. If you do this and this and this and this and this, then you're good to go. I will tell you this. This is what works for me. And I would say this if I was a pastor. I'd say this if I was a teacher, a plumber, engineer. No matter what I do for a living, I would say this. I believe what protects a church from spiritual warfare is when men and women, individuals like each of you, Every single day, make it a priority to spend that one-on-one time with their Redeemer. If you're a husband, you pray over your family, your wife. If you're a father, you pray over your wife, your kids. 
If you're a wife, you pray over your husband. If you have kids, your, your kids. You're a grandparent, pray over your adult children, your, your grandkids. You're single, you pray that God uses that singleness for the advancement of the gospel. It means every single day you spend time with the one that knows your name and the one that loves you. And in that time, before you talk about, okay, let's go out there and let's attack you know, hell's gates with a super soaker, before you get to that approach, it means that you individually look at your own life. Think about your own sin. Think about your own need for Christ. Think about what you need from him. My favorite part of the, of the day before I leave my house and before I have the whole day ahead of me, my favorite part of the day is in the morning. When I get up, I get, let the dog out because she'll tell me she has to get out, let her out. I get my coffee made. I sit in that same broken recliner that I refuse to let Brooke throw away. I mean, it won't fully close, but that's fine. It works for me. And I sit there in the morning, and the first thing that I do is I get out my prayer journal, and I just start writing. And I've done this since 2002 when a friend of mine says, you should start writing your prayers down. So I started then. And what I do in that prayer journal, just so you know, it's not some grandiose, you know, let's shake the city with First Baptist. You know what I do in it? I say, Father, I was pretty short with Brooke last night. I was irritable. I need your forgiveness. Father, there was an email I got. I could have handled that better. I really need your forgiveness. Help me to make that right with that beloved brother. I, I confess. I put it out there. I told the kids, one day when I'm dead, the journals are yours. You know, you can read them. You know, just, um, you know, be careful who you let read <laughs> those. Um, but for me, I need that. So when I think of spiritual warfare, I don't think we got to have all of these programs now. You know what I think? I think if every single member of the body of Christ takes it upon themselves every single day to have this attitude, I need you. I guarantee it what's going to happen. Your dependency on the Lord by his spirit is going to equip you to continue to overcome that sin and watch how your church is going to grow. And watch that when you are not just on the defense, but you're on the offense with sin, hating it, attacking it, because you spent time with the one that is victorious over it, then you're going to get an idea of what John was saying here when he said, now I know there's deceivers, I know there's fighting there, but hold on to the teaching, hold on to the Father, hold on to what you believe in and what you hold on to in your life. Which leads me to my last one, and I'm done. I appreciate your patience tonight. I know I went a little bit over, but here's my last one tonight. John longed to be with the church. So should we. He longed to be with the church. So should we. Look at verses 12 and 13. And then after that, you can say, hey, we went through a whole book. And if you stayed awake, that's double spiritual points for you that don't matter tonight. Verses 12 and 13. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. And look what John says here. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. That's his words of saying, hey, this church greets you. First Baptist greets you. First Baptist greets you. First Baptist loves that their pastor is with you tonight because they're probably hearing a better sermon. But we need to remember that John longed to be with the church. He missed the fellowship. He would rather be with the church than rotting to her. I think, and, and I'm just going to say it, I think we live in a culture that's easy to make lame excuses for missing church. John shared his life with her. He wasn't happy with just wanting to rot. You know what he said? I'd rather be with you 
I don't know what's happened in American Christianity, but we have put church so far down on the priority list. And it's tragic. It's tragic. And we need, as Christ followers, to have a high view of being a part of the church. And why was it important for him to be with the church? He says it at the end of verse 12. This is why it was so important to him. So that our joy may be complete. That's why John wanted to be with her. Not because, man, I got to to hear my favorite preacher, or man, I got to hear my favorite song, or man, I got to, you know, lead that meeting. John wanted to be with the church so that his joy was complete. One thing that I love at First Baptist is I love our homebound ministry. Um, I have a practice that every other Thursday I go visit our homebound members, and we have a staff member named Neil Kennard who is our homebound coordinator at First Baptist. We have several men and women that have been members of that church for 60, 70 years, some of them physically unable to come, and so I just think it's important that they you know, know their pastor, but there's a lot of them out there, so it's hard for me to go everywhere, but I try when I can to get out there, and when I make those visits, oftentimes, and it just, it just happened last week, uh, Monty and Dolores Barrow, sweet couple, been in our church a long time. When I was getting ready to leave, Miss Dolores looked at me, and she said, do me a favor, pastor. I said, yes. Now, keep in mind, this lady's had like five pastors in her whole life. Like, I'm the new guy for her, right? You know, so I, I'm, I'm like, yes, you know, Miss Dolores. She said, can you tell our church that I miss them and I love them when you see them? And I said, yes. And Monty, her husband, was getting a little emotional. He said, man, I wish we could be there. And then he said, you know, thank you for the streaming. Thank you for letting us watch it. But, man, it's not like being there. And I got in my car, and I'm driving home. And I thought, oh, what has happened in our church that we don't have people like the Barrows anymore? I remember I was a youth minister one time, and a, a dad came up to me and said, you know, hey, sorry, my son's not here. He said, I, I tried to get him up, but I um, just couldn't, you know. And so I, I said, maybe next week. And this guy, they're faithful members. And one, one week, and it probably wasn't my best moment, but I was just tired of it. And his kid was 16. I looked at him, and I said, well, the service is at 1045. He said, yeah, but it's hard to get him up. I said, do you have that attitude with school every day? He was like, oh, no, no, he's got to go to school. Like, okay, what about his practice? I knew he played football. He said, oh, no, no, no. I was like, wake the kid up and bring him to church. And he looked at me, and he was like, well, you don't know. I said, yeah, I don't know. But I know when I grew up, my mom and dad said, we're leaving at 1030, and if we weren't out there at the car at 1030, dad wasn't Mr. Happy Baptist. And I'm just saying, people might think, oh, you're outdated. Maybe I am, but you know what? Joshua 24, 15 has not gone away. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I want you to have the same attitude that John had when he said, I would much rather be with you. I don't think Monty and Dolores will ever be able to come back to our church before they're in heaven. But I remember I got into that, into my car and drove back home. And I'm not an emotional person. You can ask people. I don't, I don't cry a whole lot. I cried when I got married. I used to cry when the kids were born. I cried when the Cardinals got swept in the World Series by the, you know, Red Sox. Um, I don't, I don't cry a whole lot, but I, I was, must have been fighting allergies that day when I left their room. They've been married 68 years, sweet couple, and they just wanted to be with their church. 
If you've got nothing else out of this message, Miss Dolores can preach far better than me with that simple conversation. John longed to be with the church. So should we. I want to close with this thought from C.H. Spurgeon. Spurgeon once said this, Some go to church to take a walk. Some go there to laugh and talk. Some go there to meet a friend. Some go there their time to spend. Some go there to meet a lover. Some go there a fault to cover. Some go there for speculation. Some go there for observation. Some go there to doze and nod. But the wise go there to worship God. As followers of Jesus, we are called to love his church. And tonight, my now what, I do this every week, and my now what at First Baptist is, if you checked out on me during the sermon, I won't take it personally, but I'll have you think about this as you leave here in a little bit. I want you to think about what I try to do in the last, I'm sorry, 40 minutes. I want you to think about this. Tonight, as followers of Jesus, we're called to love his church. Do you love his church? I want nothing but great things to happen in Myrtle Grove, and I'm not over here often. Um, It's quite busy downtown, but... If I have anything else to say to you tonight, it's simply this. Please love the church, and please don't give up on God's church. Father, tonight, I want to close in prayer, and, and I'm just going to trust how you're going to lead this, Lord. I, I'm thankful that you let me come tonight, and I'm thankful for the time that we've already had with a wonderful fellowship of dinner and incredible music. But Father, right now is a time for us to respond Father, I know I probably talked a little too long tonight, but my hope is that your spirit was at work in the hearts of this church, Myrtle Grove. Father, this is a wonderful church, and you positioned this church to reach this community. And Father, oh, I long to see the day and hear the day that this church has revival, not just this week, but every time they gather. And right now, Father, I believe it begins with every person in this room that is part of this church to answer the question, Why church? And are they willing to love and be a part of the church? And may tonight they see a note from John's life when he wrote 2 John, the longing for the church to grow. Tonight, Father, if there's anyone in this room that before they even think about being a part of the church, they need to be in the church, period, your family forever. Tonight, I want to lift up that brother, that sister, that person, that tonight is the night that they need to call on the name of your son, Jesus, for salvation that they realize there is sin in their life, but they are in the right place tonight at Myrtle Grove Baptist to hear the good news that you love them so much that you sent your son to die for their sins, to take the weight, the penalty, the curse upon himself, to lift that off of them so tonight they could be freed and forgiven. I don't know who that is for tonight, but I want to give them an opportunity by your spirit to respond so that eternal life is, is happening, so that the kingdom continues to grow. Lord, I just want to close this prayer by thanking you for the church. I'm so glad that you allowed me to be a part of her all these years, and I'm still part of her. Thank you for all the Sunday school teachers, all the VBS leaders. Thank you for the RA leaders, the deacons, the folks when I was a kid, the folks when I was a teenager that that invested in me. And tonight, may that continue happening at Myrtle Grove. May you continue to build and grow your church here. And I just pray all this in your son, Jesus' name. Amen. going to have our our song of invitation. I want everyone to stand with me. I'd like for our altar counselors to come to the front, our prayer counselors to just make your way to the front for just a moment. And what we're going to do during this invitation as we sing, if you're 
trusting in the Lord for the first time tonight, and you are you are saying that Jesus is Lord in your heart, and you mean it with all your heart, I want you to come down, and we're going to pray with you. If you've been battling, you've been battling sin, and you, you heard what Brother Snyder said about how we can lay that down at the feet of Jesus and just surrender. And you need prayer for that. You want us to pray with you. You can do that right there in your pew and say, Lord, I'm done with it. I'm laying it down right now. You do that. If you've been out of church and you've come to our revival and you've experienced the presence of God and God has put a hunger in your heart to be reconnected to the body and you want to recommit to being in the body of Christ, you come. And we're going to pray for that. Whatever the case is, this is your invitation. I want you to use it for God's glory. Whatever He lays on your heart, you do that right now as, as we move by the Spirit of God. Let's sing together. In Christ alone.